0: This is episode 307 of the AWS podcast, released on April 7th, 2019.
1: Hello everyone and welcome back to the AWS podcast. Simon Lesha here with you. Great to have you back. I'm joined by a very special guest. I'm joined by Adam Larder, who's a principal solution architect here at Amazon Web Services. Welcome back to the podcast, Adam.
0: Thank you for having me back, Simon. I obviously didn't uh, hurt anyone's feelings last <laughs> time, so you invited me back.
1: That's great. No, last time, last time we talked a lot about uh, development pipelines and tool chains and all that sort of we stuff. Did. And uh, certainly one of the pieces of feedback we got was that people wanted to hear about how to handle a particular um, more common use case that we're seeing at the moment, which is around highly distributed, non-monolithic architectures. Microservices, call it what you will, uh, you know, and how people can best build for this. Now, we're not saying this is the pattern to go with and, and, you know, we tend to be quite fashion conscious in software development for some reason where we grab the new shiny thing and want to do it. Um, everything suits its own purpose. So maybe let's talk about why microservices have become a thing where they fit and where they don't fit and then how we can build them better
0: well let's take it up maybe one extra level yeah. and talk about how do developers build modern applications Good point on AWS let's today. do that so we take it up a level and as you say microservices is just one pattern yeah um, there are you, know, you, you can call it whatever you like but we are talking about um, decoupling our applications for scalability and availability that's really Bingo. what we're talking that's, about.
1: that's the outcome we're trying to absolutely,
0: get absolutely yeah. yeah we always like to work backwards from the outcome so we do have lots and lots of customers bringing new greenfield applications and workloads to the AWS platform. That's happening all the time. But we also have customers who maybe need to address tech debt. And what did we call it uh, last time, Simon? We called it classic. Yeah. uh, Classic applications. applications. Uh, Maybe they're enterprise applications or maybe they're um, smaller applications, but they're probably designed in in a classic way, more monolithic. So we we do have lots of customers who really want to move away from that modern a um, uh, big part of that monolithic application design to a microservices architecture, just so that um, we can increase the scalability and reliability of the solution. So in doing that, developers who are not familiar with the process are going to need to embrace some new patterns and processes, some, some practices, think differently than yeah, what you would do in a yeah. monolithic world. And I think the biggest thing there, Simon, is um, as a developer who used to work in a monolithic world and, and then moved into um, SOA back, back in those days um, – so uh, I think the biggest difference is that if you're building a monolithic application, the code base is living in your IDE. You can see it. You can get all a breakpoint everywhere. <laughs> all of it. Yeah. Uh, it's all probably logging out to one file. So your observability is incredibly high. Uh, if you're working in an environment that's uh, compiled language, um, you basically know before the thing ships whether it's going to... Okay, uh, in, maybe not 100% of the time, whether it's going to break uh, as far as the code is um, concerned. So when you move away from that safety, I guess, of um, the monolithic world and you start introducing um, asynchronous calls and stateless patterns and really decoupling your application, you're going to need to deal with uh, a few different things uh, and you're going to need some tooling and you're going to need some services and uh, backing services to help you do that. So whether you're building an application that uh, targets the AWS serverless platform or whether you're targeting containers with uh, uh, Amazon ECS or uh, Amazon EKS or the more traditional approach of full-stack servers, we want to make sure that we are following um, good practices, best practices, and I guess well-known pride and trusted methodologies. Yeah. And my favourite has to be a 12-Factor App Manifesto. I don't know about you, Simon. You're yeah. probably no, I, from the same background as me. I like that
1: one because it, it, it's – it's the obvious lessons of some pain. Absolutely. And, and, we, and I much rather learn from other people's mistakes than my own.
0: Absolutely, <laughs> yes. Um, so w- what we en- want to end up with is um, seamless and simple, powerful tooling that are going to allow us to do uh, best practice DevOps processes like CICD. And we talked about that last time, Simon. We talked about all the AWS tooling that is available, um, cloud native, and also our, our partner ecosystem for managing CICD on the platform. But what I want to talk today about is um, how are you going to go about taking that monolithic application and rethinking it, reimagining it in terms of um, microservices? Yeah. Um, and I think probably the best uh, way to um, to think about this is I like to use the term peeling the onion. So you start off with your monolithic application and you want to break it up into components. And what you end up with is you want to find the seams in your application. You want to find, um, we we talk about bounded context. What are the things that live together and therefore should ship together in one microservice? Um, A lot of the times they might be CRUD operations in a single microservice, so create, read, update, delete. Um, those are, are fairly obvious, but sometimes it's not entirely obvious. What you also want to do is make sure that you, you're not uh, decoupling things to the extent that you've got so much, uh, you know, uh, chatty. You, you want chunky, not chatty. Yeah, uh, yeah. But you also don't want to design mini So um <laughs> I'm full of all these Oh, you got some good words here, here yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so you want to be really careful about how many eggs you put in each of these baskets. But this is the reason why, Simon, they pay us the big bucks, and that's <laughs> to make those decisions. We know our domains. We know the application that we're, uh, we're building. We know how it needs to perform. And that's where we inject our own um, knowledge, and we use these patterns like microservices to decide where those boundaries need to be. So when we're moving from microservice, a big one to microservices, we're going to need to think a lot differently about how we do that, because uh, how we design and deploy our applications. Yeah. Because with a monolith, it's usually a very simple deployment. You probably have a monolithic data store and you have a monolithic application. Deploy them together, everything's fine. There's
1: course. a lot of complexity in the monolith. Of course. It's just yeah. bounded by the the the. the boundary of that monolith. Yeah, and
0: I think that most developers are much more comfortable with the monolith because you can see it and you've tested it. But there's an incredible amount of risk when you deploy a monolith because if one part of it breaks, potentially the entire application breaks. So you're getting the safety in numbers, I guess, with microservices because if each of these microservices are small and one of them breaks um, and you've designed your application to cope with failure, as we always um, say, Simon, in the cloud, you need to cope with failure, uh, whether it's um, your application itself or the data store or something underneath. You need to be able to cope with with failure. And if you've designed your application to understand that maybe a microservice may not be available at any time and so it should do things like it should back off or it should fail gracefully, Mm. then your application is going to be up. The the, the perception is your application is up um, for for much longer Um, and uh, you're not introducing that risk of, of something breaking. Uh, and your entire application uh, falling falling down, um, and so what I want to point out here is that if you're going to have lots and lots of microservices instead of one monolith, you're now going to have um, complexity in your deployments. You're going yeah. to have diplexi- That complexity is going to be highly visible. And yeah, how do I
1: it, see all the bits? How yeah. do I know what's talking to what?
0: How do I know what's where? <laughs> yeah. Uh, what version of what am I actually talking to? Mm. So that's there's a lot of um, complexity that is now highly visible for you. Um, so if you want to follow best practices like um, uh, or methodologies like 12 Factor, for example, uh, where you want to have a, an indi- individual deployment pipeline for each of your microservices, uh, we, we spoke last time, Simon, about the fact that that could potentially get expensive if you've got one build cluster. Yeah. Uh, it's also a lot of eggs in baskets if that Cluster is not available. So having an individual CI/CD pipeline for each of those um, applications, or each of those components, or each of those microservices um, becomes a lot more um, viable when you're not paying for the CI/CD yeah. pipeline when it's yeah. not running. So you shouldn't think in terms of the old way where you know maybe um, we, we actually want to build everything through one single pipeline. We we don't want to do that any, anymore. We want to spread, uh, split everything up. So now we've got um, deployment complexity. Uh, We've got run space complexity because we need to know what's where and how do we find things. There's a lot of complexity and that can potentially um, put a lot of developers off making this change. Yeah. Yeah. So you have many traditional options that you can um, uh, approach this problem with, but we released in or we announced at ReInvent last year in 2018. We announced AWS App Mesh. So we spoke last time about all the um, CI/CD tooling, the, the code suites that allows you to get the deployment under control. But I want to talk more about the uh, handling the complexity of being able to see uh, these microservices and discover the, uh, what's where, service discovery and, and how they communicate, and the way that we do that. Is uh, one of the options you have is to use AWS App Mesh. So AWS App Mesh uses the open source Envoy proxy, and it works during. It's in preview at the moment. It works with Amazon ECS and Amazon EKS, and also Kubernetes running on AWS. Now we chose um, Envoy because it is um, a really successful open source project, and it's got a great and vibrant and large uh, community behind it. It's the third CNCF project to get promoted to a graduated project status after Kubernetes and
1: Prometheus. So that's really cool as well. Yeah, So it's obviously got that that buy-in from developers in general saying, hey, we want to use this. This makes sense.
0: Absolutely, yes. Um, Envoy was designed specifically to support um, service mesh proxy patterns. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. uh, it's got really great performance and it's stable and uh, production proven. So the idea is that the proxy is installed as a sidecar alongside your microservice containers and mesh provides an orchestration layer that tells the um, envoy proxies what to do so basically it's a it's a control plane for the envoy proxies that are installed in uh, each of your uh, microservice containers and the proxies um, take uh, full control over, over uh, traffic routing circuit breaking retries and other controls between uh, microservices that are mesh enabled
1: and these are all those fundamental bits that Maybe as developers we're not used to writing and and in this distributed world you have to have so this does it not just in a reliable and consistent way, it does it in the best possible way. So things like you know circuit breaking and retries sound obvious, but you know, retries just not just a retry. There's you know back-off logic, there's avoidance of thundering herds and other weird and wonderful patterns you find in large scale distributed systems that you didn't have to deal with before.
0: Exactly, yeah. And because it's installed as a sidecar proxy, um, it's language independent. So mm. it's not like you have to worry about, oh, which SDK am I now gonna link? need to link into my application? What changes to my application will I need to make? You don't need to worry about that. It's running alongside. So again, that, um, that heavy lifting is, is taken away from you. So it's running at the um, network layer. So it's intercepting the calls, the ingress and egress communication between the components of your code. So you don't have to consider making any changes there when um, you want to um, make use of um, uh, AWS App Mesh. So that makes the migration to microservices a lot safer and easier, especially if there's no burden on the the developer themselves. So if you consider the service mesh is like a logical boundary for network traffic that's gonna flow between each of these services in the application, and you define virtual nodes, and these are pointers to a particular task group such as an ECS service or a Kubernetes deployment. And a virtual node is like a logical representation of runtime services. So a virtual node defines what um, its upstream dependencies are, so the de- uh, destinations that a node is gonna need to communicate with, like its mm-hmm. backends, for example. And it defines how its callers locate that virtual node, so via DNS or AWS Cloud Map. And then you define listeners, and those are policies that handle incoming traffic, port information, et cetera, and so everything that no- now knows how it needs to connect. You also create um, a component called a virtual router. And that defines routes which map virtual nodes to virtual routers. So basically, the route directs the traffic that matches a service name prefix or and, and or a path to one or more virtual nodes. So it's a little bit complex. There's a couple of- um, This is some of the
1: abstraction layers there that, that are abstraction, going on. Exactly, yeah, and yeah. once you've
0: got your head around what those, um, those concepts are, it all starts to make a lot of sense and your application is sitting underneath all of that just waiting for calls to come in, magically out of the ether you get called and you don't have to worry about how that all works.
1: And it it was interesting as you were talking about some of those as connective tissue going on there i was transported back to my COBOL days? No, no, I wasn't going to say COBOL, <laughs> okay. thank you, but but no. To my university days, learning about linked lists and double linked lists. And this almost has that feel of, you know, each item knows its upstream and downstream component, but it doesn't know anything else about anything else.
0: And it doesn't need to know. Yeah. And, and yeah. it's dynamically configured. And that's what, so just to be clear, AppMesh itself is like the, the control plane for all of these Envoy. Um, con, uh, Sidecar, container yeah. Sidecars, yeah. Sidecars, yeah. And so you use the uh, AppMesh service to declare and define how things need to talk to each other. And then AppMesh mesh worries about distributing that information out into into the drones basically
1: and that's where that virtual router comes into play it's it's helping you manage the the a b testing or canary releases and other sort of Traffic management.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, all of that is built in, and you can define. You know, we spoke last time about canary deployments and uh, and the like through code deploy. This is um, that on steroids because you actually have the ability to control the traffic as it's flowing through your application, basically in real time. Uh, making a change to App Mesh will automatically distribute those changes out to all the Envoy proxies. So yeah, you do have things like A/B testing and canary releases all running at the network layer, and your microservices don't even they don't even know that it's happening Mm. they just get Mm. called or not called which is really really cool so AppMesh is also going to provide you with enhanced end-to-end visibility and control over those microservices. Um, and that means that you can focus more on the business logic and not have to worry about all that network communication stuff. All the observability, and monitoring and tracing, it's all offloaded to AppMesh. Um, and because it's handling the updating and redeploying of the um, configurations when the state of your application changes, um, it's, it's going to allow you to scale up and scale down and um, as your application maybe fails and restarts and all those things that are happening, it's all automatically Just handled does it for, for you. you. Yeah,
1: exactly. So this is in preview at the moment so it's a good chance for people to sort of get a get a feel for what it does use the CLI use the SDKs and start to understand from a architectural standpoint what this could do
0: yeah absolutely it's available in US East 1 US West 2 and US East 2 at the moment um, in preview so uh, check it out it's uh, very easy to to set up Um, there's some fantastic tutorials available as well Excellent. Um, get started.
1: Now, you've got a bit of a, a bonus tip or something else you want to touch on that you think is relevant to a lot of developers out there.
0: Yeah, look, um, you probably can tell by my laptop here, Simon, my new sticker, my CDK sticker. Um, so I don't have one of I, those stickers. I yeah, feel very inadequate. You need to be in the cool kids club. Sorry. <laughs> um, so I just want to quickly mention about the CDK um, and, uh, and I'll, I'll, I'll just set the scene um, a bit here. We, we know about CloudFormation. Yeah. We've known about CloudFormation for a while. <laughs> We've known about SAM, the Service Application Model, which is a transform on top of CloudFormation, which is an abstraction layer to make it easier for you to um, declare your service applications, which emits canonical CloudFormation at the end of the day. Um, but there's another option for infracoding, and that is the CDK, the Cloud Developer Kit. So the CDK is an infrastructure modeling framework that allows you to define your cloud resources using an imperative programming interface. This is really mm. cool because we've been using a declarative yeah. way of um, uh, defining what we want our resources to look like or our infrastructure to look like in the cloud, but this is an imperative programming interface. Uh, so so we're sort of telling it
1: what to do rather than saying, here's the outcome I want to get. Yeah.
0: So um, just to split a hair here, you you define your infrastructure imperatively, but it will still emit canonical cloud formation. Mm. So at the end of the day, uh, the cloud formation itself is still the single source of truth yep. for the infrastructure the reference deployment. Point. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but you as a developer don't have to worry about the cloud formation. You can just create these, um, what we call constructs, which define either um, primitives or, Collections of primitives that build up whole application um, architectures. Um, So the concept we have is um, a construct. Um, And let's say that can represent um, best practice for a part of your application. So we can um, provide you with a a library of opinionated and well-architected constructs that you can use as base classes for your own custom constructs. And then you can then um, derive from those and build uh, to create your own uh, constructs. So for example, you may start with a best practice N-tier architecture, Mm -hmm. um, which is um, defined in a construct. And then you can derive from that and then start adding in things like caching layers, or you can uh, set up... um, API gateways and things like that 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 you may need for your specific application. And what's really cool about this is because it is software-defined, it can be checked into source control, it can be blamed, uh, (laughs) it can can be diffed, all that stuff. because this is but code, isn't it? I mean, this is, is this code. is a,
1: you know, a TypeScript is one of the main main languages used here, but there are yeah. others. Yeah.
0: yeah, absolutely. And so you are actually um, writing code. You are instantiating these constructs as objects, and you are then uh, setting properties in those um, the, in the code. And that's great because you don't have to worry about what the serialization format, which is the CloudFormation that mm. is emitted. Mm. You don't need to worry about about any of the syntax like YAML and JSON and all that stuff. It is code, and you get to choose the language that you uh, that's supported that, that you want to work in um so there also comes with the cdk toolkit itself comes with a command line tool that you can use to um, uh, interact with those cdk apps and uh, as i mentioned before because it emits the the cloud formation you need to synthesize uh by basically what happens is the tool runs your code yep. um and inspects your code and, and then uh code the you get formation. a result yeah, yeah exactly yeah. and it also if you if you choose to you can actually use that cdk toolkit uh, cli to actually deploy the um, infrastructure nice. as well. so you can
1: just be running in that Completely Domain nice thing, and if you want to, yeah, yeah. And the other nice thing is, is because it is code, you get you know, looping, conditional branching, property value—that Cody stuff.
0: Absolutely, yeah.
1: <laughs> that yeah. often in CloudFormation you want to do, but you can't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you can. Um, so one thing
0: I've seen customers do mm-hmm. is. Um, uh, you know, we, we've all used uh, custom resources mm. because inside CloudFormation you need to run some compute. And, yes, we have macros and, and things uh, available now, but yeah. you might want to run some compute during the execution of your CloudFormation template. Well, in the case of CDK, because, you know, you basically have um, code running, yeah. you could actually call out to anything. Um, it yeah. doesn't, you don't need to call out a Lambda function. You could actually call into um, your own uh, data store. You could call into
1: DynamoDB to pick up some parameters. You could call could a COBOL program running on a mainframe, couldn't you?
0: I don't think I could, (laughs) Simon. I I think you've got me there. I could do it. I wouldn't even be. Uh, I would not have a clue what the connection string would even look like. Yeah. Is there such a thing as a connection string? But yeah, you can you can do anything that you need to do um, inside that code, which is which is great. And one of the other things I've seen uh, customers do is uh, they want to do some linting and some compliance checking yeah. of the um, uh, of the the CloudFormation template, um, which w- we we know we can do. Mm. But what you can now do with CDK is you can actually instantiate any of those constructs, and you can actually check the property values. So you can do this in code. Mm. So let's say for example you wanted to check to make sure that any vpc you created started with 10.star so let's say yep. that, that's, yep. that was a requirement. So basic check, yep, that you basic do. check. Yeah. so you could do that using linting and um uh, and template checking on the cloud formation temp- template or you could just instantiate the construct and then dereference the property of that uh, vpc object and, and,
1: check and check it there yeah um, so this, this really gives you cool. a huge set of options in terms of compliance and verification and validation and Whatever you need to do. Whatever
0: you need to do. And because it is code, it's for developers to start eating straight away because you understand code yeah yeah, yeah. you
1: just start doing you're yeah. not learning
0: yeah so if you're new to cloud formation and if you're looking at uh, cloud formation and sam and thinking well there's there's a lot i need to um, get my head around here um do take a look at cdk if you're experienced with cloud formation and you want to have a look at cdk it's um absolutely fantastic i've got some uh, customers that swear by it they've moved entirely across to cdk and absolutely love it
1: interesting there you go good tip so a couple of good tips there adam thanks again for coming on the podcast and sharing some of those insights
0: thank you simon thanks for having me and I look forward to seeing you again.
1: Definitely. And thanks everyone for listening. We do love to get your feedback. AWS podcast at amazon.com is the place to do that. And until next time, keep on building.